Man, what an introduction. Dude, Josh, thank you, brother. That's That meant a lot. Those words uh, bless my soul. Try to raise this up a little bit. Um, yeah, probably one day maybe I can uh, make your contact list, though. My name can, <laughs> can make it in there. Maybe after today. I, I can only hope, you know. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's an honor to be here with you guys today. Uh, it's my first time visiting Refuge. I see a lot of familiar faces from the well. Uh, a lot of people that have planted, people that have uh, maybe are new to Refuge also. So it kind of feels like a reunion of sorts. Uh, my sister-in-law, Christina, is here. She also attends Refuge. Shout out. Uh, which reminds me, I need to make sure I don't have any in-law slights in my uh, notes here. Uh, kidding, kidding. I love them. They're awesome. Um, but yeah, like Josh said, uh, we'll be speaking on prayer this morning. Really excited to jump into that. But before I do, we'd love to open us up with some prayer. So if you would pray with me. Jesus, we thank you for uh, this rainy Sunday morning. We thank you for um, that the words we sing are true, that you are a wonderful Savior, that you've cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. Thank you for letting us come to you in prayer. We love you, Lord. We pray that uh, the words spoken this morning would be from you, Holy Spirit. pray that they'd be encouraging, edifying, that they would build up uh, one another. We give this time to you. May you be glorified, Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. So earlier this week, I was talking with one of my buddies uh, who I'm in ministry with and just a, a close brother of mine who we've, uh, we were kind of brainstorming, collaborating on uh, some ministry efforts for the upcoming fall. And something he wanted to do was to initiate some more prayer meetings. And uh, we were talking about it, you know, what could that look like? And, you know, just kind of going back and forth. But he said something really uh, honest that really caught my attention. He said, Bro, the thing I'm, I'm most concerned about is that we do these meetings and now we just end up being bored. That we have like these hour-long meetings scheduled for prayer and we just don't know what to do with it. I was kind of taken aback, but not because of what he said, but because of how honest he was, right? Like I think oftentimes I think that or like many of us can think that thought of like prayer can be intimidating because we don't quite know what to do once we enter into that space. Uh, we sometimes act, we, we refrain from sharing those thoughts with one another and sometimes even to God as if he couldn't handle those thoughts, right? He's God. He can hear that. I'll touch on that in a little bit, though. But if you find yourself in, that, in a similar position of like, I don't know what to do with prayer. I don't know how to enter into it. Uh, know that you're not alone. Uh, a study from Pew Research uh, showed that only 36% of evangelical Protestants pray on a daily basis. Only 36%. Not a very high number. Uh, don't be discouraged if you find yourself outside of this 36%. My desire this morning is that by the end of our time together, uh, the wonder and mystery of prayer would be stirred up within us. Uh, I'm asking that the Lord would give us hungry and humble hearts uh, like the disciples had. The disciples uh, in Scripture, uh, it says that they asked Jesus to teach them how to do one thing, right? They asked Jesus many things, but action-wise, they asked him to teach them how to do one thing. Do you all know what that is? I heard Josh is pretty engaging with you guys. So I'm going to leave the floor to you all. What do you all think it is that the disciples asked Jesus to do? Pray. Good guess. Yes. <laughs> Great job, everyone. Yeah, Lord, teach us how to pray. When I learned that, I was, I was pretty struck by it. 
Because obviously Jesus taught them many things, right? Uh, but I think it's significant that as the disciples wanted to know what it was like for Jesus on those early mountainside hours in the morning when he was communing with the Father, right? And so what did they do? They asked him, Lord, teach us. What does that look like? What are you saying to God in that time? What are you doing, you know? I think it's beautiful. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we'll be in Matthew 6 this morning. Uh, we'll be in the Lord's Prayer. So I want to give us a bit of a roadmap uh, as to where we're going this morning. Uh, today, I want to, one, highlight prayer from high, a high-level perspective and just answer the question, what is prayer? Uh, second thing I want to do is discuss why we aren't inclined to pray sometimes. And the third thing I want to do is address the invitation uh, to pray. So we'll be in Matthew 6, 9 through 13 this morning. Uh, it's the Lord's Prayer. So I'll, I'll read this and uh, follow along with us. We don't have slides this morning, so we're going kind of old school. Verse 9. Uh, this is Jesus speaking. He says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was checking y'all, see if y'all did that or not. <laughs> cool. So what is prayer? Jesus gives this beautiful prayer, but let's, let's spend some time defining this. Uh, a definition is given for prayer by the Westminster Catechism. And it says that, quote, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. So uh, what the Westminster Catechism is, one, it's a mouthful, uh, but two, it's a group from uh, what's called the Westminster Assembly from in 1646, 1647, a group of English and Scottish theologians got together just to get on the same page about some theological issues so the churches would be uh, more uniform. And so if you want to uh, give that a Google search after our time today, go uh, do that. They have a lot of definitions of things. Uh, so what's interesting is that if you can uh, consider their definition of prayer, it seems to be derived in part from the Lord's Prayer. Like there's some similar elements of surrendering, Acknowledging the will and power of God, confession, thanksgiving, and more. So, knowing this, let's now look at the Lord's Prayer and break up some of the essential components that are within that. So, uh, a bit of history on the Lord's Prayer. It's very similarly structured to a Jewish prayer cited often in that day and age. It's called the Kaddish, and it reads as follows. So, the Kaddish says, Magnified and sanctified may his great name be. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Okay, back to the Kaddish. In the world he created by his will, may he establish his kingdom in your lifetime and in your days. The Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if, if you're hearing that, there's some pretty similar parallels. So when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, he uses something that they're already really familiar with, right? But he adds some really important elements to it that I want to address. Um, so let's, let's look at it. Verse 9 in the Lord's Prayer. He starts with, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
we see Jesus begin his model prayer by hallowing or consecrating the name of God. To hallow God's name simply means to honor it as holy. Uh, it's, it's a recognition that, God, you're holy, and I'm stepping into this place of prayer. Here I am, and I, and I recognize your holiness. It invokes a, a holy fear from within us. Uh, recognizing the holiness of God also informs us of the posture that we should enter into prayer with. If prayer is the primary means of communicating with the God of the universe, then we should enter into it with deep reverence, right? To do this, uh, there are even physical postures that we can enter into that represent a spiritual reality. Some examples of this, uh, lying on your face can symbolize a posture of surrender before God. Uh, praying on your knees is often a symbol of confession, right? It's a recognition of our own need. Uh, or you can stand and pray in worship with your hands lifted as a sign of adoration or, or thanksgiving to God. It's a miracle, if you think about it, that we're even allowed to pray to the God of the universe. Other religions like Islam, for example, uh, they do not recognize God as a loving and good father. Like they know God, yes, God is merciful. He has the characteristic of being loving and mercy. But to call God your father, that's audacious. That's, that's almost heretical, right? But to us, that's not the case. Um, yet, Jesus startles those around him by starting this prayer with our Father in heaven. That wouldn't be a normal phrase to start a prayer with in that day and age. Jesus was also entitled to say, my Father in heaven. And he, was he could have been totally right, right? Jesus is the Son of God, yet he is intentional with starting it by saying, our Father. He's implying some things here. Uh, Jesus is inviting us to view prayer as a corporate exercise, not just an individual one, right? Um, his aim here was that also that we as the saints of God would honor and revere the name of God together in unity. So we see the Lord's Prayer begin with the act of consecration. Let's keep going. Uh, verses 10 and 11 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Next, Jesus makes supplication. A supplication is an earnest and humble request in prayer. A supplication is an earnest and humble request in prayer. If you're taking notes, the first thing we saw was consecration, and the second thing we're looking at now is supplication. Jesus modeled for his disciples to ask the Father to bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, which is wild. Uh, I mean, we're given the opportunity to implore God the Father that earth would look like heaven. Like that, even as I recite that, it even sounds like lofty for me to even think about. Like, who are we to be given that kind of privilege? To be given such a big responsibility requires trust. We can make sense of this empowerment, though, because Jesus recognizes us no longer as servants, but as friends. And friends trust one another, don't they? Not only does Jesus ask for heaven to invade earth, but he also asks for something very simple. Right after, what does he ask for? His daily bread. Yeah. He asks for food. Without losing a breath, Jesus makes a huge ask regarding something that is unseen and then simply asks for something material. Why do we think that is? Why would Jesus model for his disciples something as grandiose as the kingdom of God, then request some bread for today? I think Jesus was illustrating something beautiful about the Father's heart in this moment. We serve a mighty God, 
the Lord of hosts, the one who has legions of angels at his disposal. But we also serve a very loving, near, and personal God. He doesn't overlook our simple needs, but he knows them because he, Jesus, was like us. He was human. He was hungry. He was tired. So bring your request to God, no matter the size. If it's too big for you to bring, uh, if it's too big for you to do, then bring it. <laughs> if you think that it's so small that you don't, you're not even sure to bring it to God or not, bring it anyway. He wants to hear from you. He loves to hear from you. He, if, if we are God's children, there's no invasion of privacy with the Father, right? So a practical way that I've done this is to write down one ask per day in my journal. Uh, I typically journal uh, during my times with the Lord, and I would just have a s- little section at the bottom. I would just write, ask, and I would just fill something random. In college, I would do things like, God, would you provide a random meal for today? And I remember one day I did that, and I got fruit snacks with a little Bible verse from an organization that said, you will have every need in Christ Jesus. And I was like, thank you, God. You hear me. Praise God. <laughs> but I also did it for big things, like my friends would come to faith. And over the course of time, I did see a friend come to faith, and I got to look back on what I wrote, and I got to write, this prayer was fulfilled on this day. Praise God for that. So keep track of your prayers. By doing so, you keep track of the Lord's faithfulness. To pray uh, in alignment with the will of God, or to even know what the will of God is, is a difficult thing. How can you know what the will of God is without testing it through prayer? Well, we often can't. Prayer can be and often is a mysterious experience. It can also be somewhat awkward to embrace at times, but it's worth doing. God welcomes these conversations you have with him to discover his will for you and for the world that you live in. If you find yourself not understanding what God's will is uh, for your life in this season right now, and you might be feeling a bit confused about what God is honestly up to, Uh, Take solace in the fact that although prayer may be mysterious by itself, the character of God is not. So although prayer may be mysterious, we know God's heart. We know his character is not mysterious. We'll circle back to this in a little bit. I want to make a note that it's important that we should include the name of Jesus as we pray, as we make supplication through prayer. Acts 4.12 says, For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's only through Jesus' name that there is salvation. There is power only in Jesus' name and not yours and not my name either. You and I, we were born in sin. We ain't him, okay? The name of Jesus is powerful, and y'all know this. Y'all know this. My desire for you is that you not only know the power of God, but that you also experience it. Amen? Uh, That you not only know the love of Jesus, but you feel his love poured out for you. That you not only know the forgiveness of the cross, but you experience the freedom that this innocence brings to your souls. Praying in Jesus' name can bring about these very things. Praying in the name of Jesus enables the Holy Spirit of God to move in power in our lives. Praying in Jesus' name is a recognition of Jesus' authority. It's a declaration that he is truly Lord of lords and King of kings. It's a profession that he is the only way to the Father, and by doing so, gives us assurance that the Father hears our prayers. It strips us of our self-sufficiency and puts us in a place of dependence upon his grace. This is a difficult but beautiful place to be in, friends. Verse 12 reads, And forgive us our debts 
as we have also forgiven our debtors. Our prayers should also uh, consist of the confession of our sins. So this is the third point, consecration, supplication, and confession. Praying and confession go hand in hand, or at least they should. Uh, confession is simply acknowledging the ways that we have not operated in God's design for our lives. It's the simple realization that we can make life hard on ourselves uh, at times because we aren't obedient to what the scriptures command of us. Uh, Jesus models confession for us in the Lord's Prayer, that God would forgive our sins as we forgive the sins of others. I hope you recognize something important here in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Within the Lord's Prayer, what all does Jesus ask the disciples to do? Like, action-oriented. What, what all does he ask them to do? Any, any insights? So, verse 9, he simply tells them to pray, right? Okay, we know that. But outside of that, the only responsibility he gives them to do is to forgive one another. Notice, Jesus doesn't give the, the disciples a laundry list of prerequisites to enter into prayer with. No, he doesn't tell them to take their shoes off, to wash their face, to clean themselves, to make sure they're presentable before God, right? But rather he jumps straight in. Jesus is teaching that prayer is more asking than it is performing. I think we can get that wrong sometimes. Prayer is more asking than it is performing. Confession of sin is an integral part of our salvation and sanctification, right? Confession is highly necessary. We cannot and should not invite the Holy Spirit of God to dwell within us in the midst of deep, unrepentant sin. Yes, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I am in that boat. We are all in that. But blatantly disregarding our sin is a disservice to the cross. Attempting to walk with the Holy Spirit in the midst of unrepentant sin, will cause our souls to be in turmoil within us. And we'll have difficulty experiencing the abundant life and joy that Jesus purchased for us. That's his desire that we experience this abundance of life and joy that, that he's made a way for. What prayer does is that prayer reminds us to love our Savior more than our sin. Prayer reminds us to love our Savior more than our sin. Right? When you think about it, our salvation itself begins with prayer. Prayer is the vehicle through which our depravity is acknowledged under the perfect splendor of King Jesus. Romans 10 lays this out, that whoever would confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. This isn't an ancient tale. This is wisdom for today, friends. If you have not made that profession, I invite you to consider it today. Also, our sanctification requires ongoing confession. The further you are along in your walk with Jesus, this should bring about more confession, not less, right? Uh, resist the temptation of feeling like you have arrived in your walk with the Lord. Satan is crafty. Don't be deceived into thinking that you don't need confession. You do. I do. We all need this. This should be a constant thing in our lives. It's amazing how the confession of our sin can lead to an eternity with Jesus. This is what a thought to dwell on, right? Uh, Tyler Staden, who's the pastor of Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon, uh, wisely states this about prayer. He notes that prayer begins with need and ends in relationship. Prayer begins with need and ends in relationship. 
Okay, moving along. Verse 13 says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The last observation I want to make about the Lord's Prayer uh, is that our prayers can be petitions for protection. Uh, this is the fourth thing we're looking at today, okay? Uh, with Christ, we have victory over sin, which means that there isn't a temptation that's too strong for us. There isn't an enticement that can't be overcome. Prayer also delivers us from the schemes of the enemy. Because when we pray in the authority of Jesus' name, the kingdom of darkness is pushed back. Diseases are cured, demons flee, and ultimately God is glorified. That is the end of our prayers, friends. That uh, is that the glory of God would be shown throughout our lives into the community around us here in Austin. That those around us would be curious about who God is because we've seen God show up so often in our lives. That is our aim. As we taste and see the Lord's goodness, or in other words, as we know and experience the goodness of God, we then can create opportunities for others to do the same. We can invite others into that space. So to summarize what we've seen in the Lord's Prayer, uh, we've noted themes of consecration, supplication, confession, and protection. Okay. Uh, obviously, there's more that can be gleaned from the Lord's Prayer, but we'll stick with these for now. Uh, because now I want to talk about the heart and all that is within us and around us uh, that prevent us from engaging in the spiritual practice. How y'all doing? Y'all good? Cool, cool, cool. So um, the world we live in is very busy and very fast. We don't have to look very far to find reasons or excuses not to pray, right? Uh, to get alone to a quiet place is hard enough for most of us, especially for us parents with toddlers. Amen. Anyone? A couple? Okay. Y'all know. Y'all know. <laughs> uh, the silence and solitude that Jesus often withdrew to was a gift. Uh, yet for some of us, once we finally have that time to enter into that space, we find it extremely difficult to stay in that space, to press into that silence, right? Why? Silence is just hard. It's just hard to enter into. And if you don't believe me, let's just do a quick exercise. I'm going to set a one-minute timer uh, for us just to sit in complete silence, okay? Uh, during this time, just ask the Lord to bring anything to mind. All right, I'm going to set this timer. Y'all ready? Set, go. And time. How was that for you guys? Did it feel short? It's only 30 seconds. <laughs> That's the point. It's hard, right? Uh, like for some of y'all, that might have felt like an eternity. <laughs> um, but that's okay. Why do you think that is? Why is silence hard? It's funny, as I did that, I noticed a lot of, like, of y'all went straight into prayer and just were like, yes, God, just speak to me right now. And it's like, oh, y'all are, maybe y'all don't struggle with silence. <laughs> uh, but we'll touch on it anyway. Uh, why is silence hard for us at times? Well, from a physical perspective, uh, we humans have short attention spans. Uh, a study that was done showed that the average human attention span is 8.25 seconds. 8.25. A goldfish, 9 seconds. 
a goldfish has a longer attention span than we do, on average, right? This isn't everyone. Some of y'all are beasts. Can really focus, make eye contact really well. But this, that, was, that was shocking when I read that. Another study showed that human attention spans have decreased 25% from 2000 to 2015. Any guesses as to why that is? Technology, yeah, I see some people scrolling. Yes, 2007, what came out? The iPhone, that's right, yes. Uh, and from there, all the plethora of screens and things and techn technological advancements that we own. A 25% decrease in that time is massive. But what silence does is that it tends to draw out vulnerability after enough time has passed. Once we force ourselves to be still for long enough, the thoughts of ourselves or about God that we might have been suppressing finally float to the surface of our minds. What silence does is that it beckons our, uh, it beckons our mind to reason with our heart and to make sense of the world around us, to navigate the personal issues we might have, uh, and to always help us see the hidden beauties in life. The book of Psalms is filled with songs and stanza of man doing that very thing. We see David honestly broken and honestly himself before God. We see this in Psalm 22, 1 through 2. I'll just read it for us real quick. Uh, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night but I find no rest. Who in here prays like this? Yeah, I don't. I don't for sure. David knew that he truly wasn't forsaken by God, right? But he had spent enough time with God the Father to know that he can be brutally honest with the thoughts that he might not share in a communal setting. Does that make sense? Like, we don't often give God our deepest thoughts we might have, the ugly thoughts that aren't impressive to those around us. Yet, the Spirit of God saw fit that our understanding of God the Father would include the book of Psalms. Prayers of joy, confession, deep lament, all in a single place. God is big enough to handle your worst thoughts and your lowest point. Bring them to Him. He longs to hear from you. Another uh, reason I believe that we don't enter into prayer is because of past disappointments. I think nearly all of us can relate to a moment in time when prayers weren't answered in our lives, when the miraculous breakthrough that we've been pleading for never arrived, and suddenly we find ourselves like David in Psalm 22, asking the Father, God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Friends, silence can be deafening. Earlier I mentioned that prayer may be mysterious, but the character of God is not. I said this because I believe that unanswered prayers or times of prayer that have seemed fruitless make us question God can they can make us question God's character. Okay, in John 15, 6 through 8, Jesus tells his disciples, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. Whatever you wish, that's a big statement. Like, surely J Jesus wasn't serious, right? Because, Lord, I did ask whatever I wish, and it wasn't done. Like, what then? How do I make sense of this? Friends, I've been in this place. I've watched my own mother get diagnosed with breast cancer, recover, only for it to come back with a vengeance, and it slowly took her life from her. I found myself, like David, in Psalm 22, asking God, why? 
Where are you? What are you doing right now? However, for us not enter into prayer because something might not happen according to our plan is a profession of fear more than it is of faith. I get it. Prayer is risky. You're putting yourself out there when you pray, but remind yourself who it is that you're praying to. Remind yourself who it is you're approaching. You're approaching the Alpha and the Omega, the Prince of Peace, the I Am. Love himself is the one you're petitioning to. If you find yourself hesitant to step out in prayer, I would encourage three things. One, uh, stop doing it by yourself. Remember, Jesus implored us, our Father in heaven. Start doing it with some friends. Do it with some people that you do community with, right? Uh, If you find yourself hesitant to step out in prayer, I'd also recommend start small with moments of silence. Don't go from zero minutes a day to try to jump to an hour or two hours of silence. That's, that's too big. Do like two to five minutes and just see. Or even uh, use your commute to work as a moment of silence. God, I just want to be still. The third thing I'd recommend is just be aware of the messages the world is sending you that influence your perspective on prayer, okay? Social media is quick to dismiss prayer as effective, right? Satan has a lot of followers online, but no profile, Uh, okay? Be innocent as doves and as wise as serpents. I don't want us to miss on this beautiful invitation to experience God through prayer. So why should we pray? Like, what's what's in it for us? Well, uh, the first thing we see as to why we should pray, one, God invites us to. The creator of the universe invites us to commune with him. Like, let that sink in. Just dwell on it. The one who has, who has not known time, who has not known a beginning or an end, invites to spend time with you. Maybe a helpful illustration. If you could, at any point in the course of human history, spend a day with someone. It could be celebrity, someone you look up to, famous athlete, whatever, okay? Uh, you spend an entire day with them. How would your heart feel about that moment? There's some, like, anticipation. You're excited. Like, man, I'm, what am I going to ask them? What are we going to do together? We can always do that with Christ. We can always step into a place where we are communing with him, right? How much more should our hearts long for these moments uh, of prayer with Jesus? And Jesus took advantage of this invitation often with the Father. The disciples were keenly aware of Jesus' habit to pray on a regular basis. It was often noted that Jesus was going up to isolated areas to get away from people so that he could spend time with uh, the Father in prayer. In fact, many miracles would happen when Jesus is on his way to be with the Father. An example of this is in Matthew 14, when Jesus fed the 5,000. This occurred because Jesus took a boat to a desolate place, but the crowds heard about it and followed him there. Uh, Can you imagine 5,000 people following you to a place, right? Like, to us, that's overwhelming, but to Jesus, I was welcomed. Uh, One of the most admirable character traits of Jesus was that he was interruptible. People were never an inconvenience to him. And what's beautiful about this characteristic is that it's also reflected in the Father's heart in prayer. We can approach the throne of grace in our time of need. That means whenever. God doesn't have office hours for prayer. Prayers can be spoken in the early morning hours or can be muttered as we're falling asleep. Which leads me to our second point is that God delights in our prayers. He's not impatient with us when we pray. If we keep bringing the same thing to him over and over, uh, he's not. 
He's not like the, pers- uh, the story of the persistent widow. Our God in heaven is a good judge, one who welcomes our words and our presence in his throne room of grace. Scripture tells us that there are two things God collects, our tears and our prayers. Our prayers, uh, it says in Revelation, are like incense that fill the heavenly places. Isn't that majestic? Like, can you just imagine that? The third thing to consider why we should pray, consider the cost of our prayers. The value of an item is based off the cost paid for it. If your ability to pray was paid for by the blood of Jesus, how invaluable is this gift? Prayer is immeasurable in value because Jesus purchased it with his own life. Not only did Jesus purchase prayer for us, but he continues in prayer for us. Hebrews 7, 25 says, Consequently, he is able to save the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus could be doing anything on the throne right now, yet in this very moment, he is making intercession for you. Let your hearts be moved by that. Take advantage of this. Last thing I want to point, uh, as we begin to close, is that ultimately, prayer reminds us who we are. As we spend time communing with the Holy Spirit through prayer, uh, we are giving ourselves an opportunity to re-enter the Garden of Eden, to find ourselves where we once lost ourselves. Prayer is a return to the original design for our lives. It's a coming out of the bushes, naked and, un- naked and ashamed, only to be met by a loving Father who clothes us in his righteousness. It's a reminder that in the midst of death, disease, addiction, that our home isn't on this earth. Rather, our home and fulfillment is found in the person and work of Jesus. And when we look to Jesus, we see that Jesus himself, he is the very fulfillment of his own prayer that he showed the disciples. Okay, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus' name was mocked as he hung on the cross for us. Instead of having his kingship consecrated, he was desecrated as he was stripped naked, scourged, mocked, uh, and whipped for us because of our sin. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus can sympathize with not having his pleas answered uh, or supplicated by the Father. Did you know that it was Psalm 22 that Jesus was reciting on the cross? My God, my God, why did you forsake me? Jesus never had that prayer answered. He knows how you feel when you're in that space. And forgive us our debts, as we, as we have also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus, who remained innocent his entire life without sin, was treated as if he had all the sin in the world to confess. Our brokenness was poured out onto the perfect Lamb of God. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus himself was led not only into temptation, but to the end of temptation, death. The king of kings was given no protection from his enemies. Yet he would rise victoriously from the grave, conquering sin and shame, proving that he truly was the son of God. And whoever believes in him will never perish, but shall experience eternal life. Pray with me. Jesus, we love you. You're wonderful. We thank you for this gift of prayer. That as you were were crucified on the cross, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, symbolizing that we can now enter in into the Holy of Holies. That the presence of God is no longer far from us, but it's near. 
It's within us. Thank you, God. That is wonderful. Christ, would you stir up an affection of our hearts for you? And may prayer follow in that. May prayer just be an overflow of our love for you, Jesus. Christ, we love you. Um, We just pray blessing over what you're doing here at Refuge, God. We pray this in your name. Amen.